Well, good morning. Merry 2012. Is that right? Happy New Year. Glad that you're here with us. Are you awake at all? Or did you stay up way too late? Yeah. Whew, it is going to be, I don't know about you, but 2012 is going to be way better than 2011. This is going to be an awesome new year. Thank you so much for coming and kicking off the year with us here at Cornerstone. My name is Tim Beal. I'm the high school pastor here, and I get the privilege today of just, I don't know what we're going to do. We're going to talk about who God is, and hopefully we're going to be different when we leave this place. So thanks for coming in and joining us. If you're visiting with us, thank you guys so much for being a part of what God is doing here. I was thinking through today, and I was thinking, man, Christmas, if you came Christmas morning, I got to share with you guys a little bit, so thank you for celebrating Christmas with me. Um, what could we do New Year's? So I started to think through, it doesn't matter who you are, it doesn't matter if it's 2012 or 1912, something this year is going to step up in front of us and is going to throw its weight around and is going to stand before you, it's going to make fun of you, it's going to laugh at you, it's going to try to intimidate you. Something this year is going to do an incredible an incredible job at rattling who we are. So what could we do this year? What could we do today that would possibly maybe remind us of who God is? What what could we do today so when something like that steps forward, when something like that happens, we would have maybe the ammunition to know how to fight, or maybe we would know how to to get through that when it happens. So today we're going to dive into possibly my favorite story in the Bible. This is the one that when I get to heaven... I want to sit in the lazy boy with the popcorn and the sweet tea and God beside me and Jesus on the other side, big screen like that, and we're going to sit there and we're going to watch this story unfold. And I, and I can't wait for that day, but today we're just going to kind of share it because I think this is one of the best stories of a problem presenting itself and then what to do when that happens. So but before we do that, let me give you some words of advice from a guy named Paul to his friend Timothy. It's found in 2 Timothy 2.8. Before we dig into this, let me just throw this out there and let this kind of resonate over you, and hopefully, because this is going to be our theme for the morning. In 2 Timothy 2.8, Paul tells his friend Timothy, he says, remember Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, descendant of David, this is my gospel. Remember Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, descendant of David, this is my gospel. If you have your Bibles, man, we're going to be... All the way back in the Old Testament in 1 Samuel. So jump to 1 Samuel chapter 17. That's where we're going we're gonna to tear through today. We're going to look at the story of David and Goliath. Possibly, like I said, my favorite story in all scripture. Let me set this up to just kind of save some time and to get us where we're going to start up in, in, in the passage. Right now, Israel has had some really great moments. They've, they've had pretty much just a great existence. Some really cool things have happened. Um, some, I don't know, they're just at a really good time in their life. Things are going really good for them. Um, they just have a new king. His name is Saul. And according to, to the Bible, Saul is a huge, big, burly man. He's t- um, head and shoulders taller than the rest of the Israelite people. So he's huge. Um, he, he's just this big guy. And the Israelites at this time didn't have a king, but they went to, Sam, uh, to Samuel like, man, please give us one. We, everybody else has one. I want one too. And Samuel finally gives in, and they have Saul who comes in. Now, Samuel is still kind of chilling. He's in the background still giving him all this Jedi mind, you know, all this really cool knowledge stuff, just throwing it out there every now and then messing with them. Um, so you've got Samuel still in the picture. They've got this new king named Saul. Everything seems to be going really, really good in the land of Israel until one day. <laughs> one day they're minding their own business. They're doing their thing, and they, they walk out, and they look And the Philistine army has came in and has set up camp and is there to wreck shop on the Israelite folks. 
Israelites wake up and they look out and, and to, their, to the side is, is the Philistines. And so the Israelites are coming out and they're like, whoa, 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 back the truck up. Uh-uh, not at my house. What are y'all doing? And so they're getting up. And so get this picture in your mind. You, you've got on, on one side, you've got the Israelite army who they've set up. They're, they're coming out. They're ready to fight. They're like, dude, what are you thinking coming to my place? No, uh-uh. They're, they're up and they're ready to defend. They're ready to, to, to conquer whoever it is that's coming in to evade them. On the other side, you've got the Philistine army. You've got all these people that have set up, and they're just going to come through, and they're like, Philistine, or they're like, Israelites, Israelites, we're going to come in, and this is our place now. We're going to take you over, and you're going to become our servants, and we're fixing to, it's going to be bad for you. Israelite army is lined up. You've got the Philistine army lined up. You've got this huge valley probably in the middle, and this, this is where it gets really, really good to be a Philistine. You see, at this time, in order to save money because... Wars and campaigns can go on for a very long time. They're very costly. Lots of lives can be lost. So at this time, one of the things that they would do to try to, to save on, on expenses, to try to save on lives, is they would, they would find the biggest and the baddest man in their army, their, their champion, and they would send him out. And so the Israelites are supposed to come up with a champion who's going to come forward and fight, and the Philistines are going to come up with a champion who's going to come forward and fight. And these two guys, this is like the first recorded pay-per-view, they're going to come together in the middle, and they're just going to go at it. They're going to fight to the death, and whoever wins, then that losing army is going to be the slave of the winning army. So right now, if you're a Philistine, things look really good for you. The Philistines... They've got this dude named Goliath. Uh, let's read about him just a second so you can kind of see what we're looking at. Look in uh, chapter 17, verse 4. Israelites on this side, Philistines on this side, they're about to come together in the middle, head-to-head, pay-per-view, $49.95. You can watch it for free. <laughs> verse 4. A champion named Goliath who was from Gath came out of the Philistine camp. He was over nine feet tall. He had a bronze helmet on his head and wore a coat of scale armor of bronze weighing 5,000 shekels. On his legs, he wore bronze greaves and a bronze javelin was slung on his back. His spear shaft was like a weaver's rod and its iron point weighed 600 shekels. His shield bearer went on ahead of him. It's good to be a Philistine. I don't know if you caught some of this. It says that he was over nine feet tall. I'm a huge basketball fan, Shaquille O'Neal, greatest center ever is two feet shorter than Goliath. I understand I'm in the valley now. I'm no longer in Texas, and Shaq evidently doesn't have the same effect on you that he does on me. <laughs> so let me try to, to maybe gain some brownie points. The greatest point guard playing basketball right now, Steve Nash. Woo! He's three feet shorter <laughs> than Goliath. Let me give you some of these weights in normal people talk, because we don't really weigh things by shekels anymore. It says his, his armor and his helmet weighed over two, 125 pounds. His armor, his breastplate, and his helmet is 125 pounds. It's like strapping an eighth grader onto your chest. <laughs> it says the, the head of his spear, just the, the head of his spear, just the tip of his spear was over 15 pounds. Guys, think about this for a second. When we go bowling, the average man... Bowling ball weight is about 12 to 16 pounds, unless you're on a date, and then it's whatever the heaviest thing is that they have. <laughs> Got to look good. Um, ladies, when you go bowling, average bowling ball weight for a woman, when y'all go out into this, is usually between 8 pounds and 12 pounds. 
Just the spear tip of Goliath's spear is over 15 pounds. It says the shaft of, of Goliath's spear is like a weaver's rod. That's basically a two by four. So not only does his spearhead weigh over 15 pounds, but he has this huge stick coming off of it that he's about to throw at you. If you threw shot put in high school, men, you, you threw about a 12-pound shot put ball. Ladies, if you threw shot in high school, it was about 8.8 8 pounds. You have a 9-foot-tall man, 125-pound armor on him, 15-pound spearhead walking before you. And what seemed like a day that couldn't really get worse, just did. What do you do? I don't know what it is about New Year, but Goliath seems to show up every year. And it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what color you are, how old you are, what size you are, if you have hair, if you don't have hair. It, it, it doesn't matter if you're rich, if you're poor, it doesn't matter where you live, what type of car you drive. It, Goliath seems to show up year after year. What do you do? For us, my family, Goliath made his, his, made his presence known about 10 years ago. We, um, we were doing everything that I thought we were supposed to be doing. As, as a family, I was in... I was in full-time ministry, um, thought everything was going great. We had this really beautiful two-year-old daughter, blonde hair, blue eyes. She's at that really cool stage in life where she's saying really inappropriate things at the worst time possible, and it's really funny. <laughs> everything is going great. We're four months pregnant. Well, I'm not, but my wife is four months pregnant. We're about to have baby number two. And it's September 11th, 2001, we're walking into the doctor's office, and I remember looking up on the TV monitor, and I remember seeing planes crash into the towers, and I remember looking at my wife thinking and saying, that's going to be an awesome movie. I can't wait to see that. Had no idea that it was real until about two weeks later. I remember walking into the doctor's office, and we're about to have the sonogram, right, where they tell us if it's a boy or a girl. And so we walk in, the doctor pulls up my wife's shirt, and I'm like, hey. He's like, it's all right, dude, I'm a doctor. Pulls up her shirt, gets out this wand, and, and starts to smear this goopy-type stuff on her stomach and starts to rub this wand on her belly. Um, and they're doing this sonogram. And I don't know if you've ever seen these things before, but it looks kind of like you're watching the Doppler. It really looked like a haboob was blowing through the valley and about to take out Tucson. I don't know what it picks up, but it's just this swarm in this sea of all these different colors, and it seriously looks like a thunderstorm rolling in. But he, he's going through, and he's like, hey, here's the head, and look, here's a foot. And I'm like, it's a boy, woo! And he's like, no, umbilical cord. Um, let's keep looking. <laughs> and then he's like, yeah, Dad, sure enough, man, it's a boy. And he's, you know, hey, here's, here's fingers, blah, blah, blah. He's going through all this stuff. And then he stops for a minute, and he's like, man, um... Don't know what's going on here, but some things don't look right. Doesn't look like his kidneys and his lungs are developed. Um, and he goes, and that's, that's okay, because, you know, we've still got a little ways to go. But for some reason, I can't find the left half of his heart. And I'm thinking, you know, you found his feet. I can live with a footless son. That's, that's, that's bad, but it's not the end of the world. But I'm thinking left side of the heart, Doc, that's, that's pretty important. Can you, can you check that one more time? And sure enough, you know, he, more goop on her stomach, and he's pushing that dude all around, and he's like, yeah, um, gives us a card. And he's like, I need you to go and see some friends of mine that are specialists, 
And we spent the next several weeks and months going to doctors who are, are looking, and, and it turns out that our son has this disease called hypoplastic left heart syndrome. It, it hits about one in 10,000 babies. Nobody really knows why. And for some reason, while they're in utero, the left side of the heart never forms. So our son has a right side. He has two chambers, um, but the other two and the, the left side of the heart are completely gone. What do you do? You, you really are doing what you thought you're supposed to do. You, you, you thought that you're living your life exactly, you know, you're following God's plan as best as you can. Yeah, I, you know, we mess up, we're going to. But what do you, what do you do? They begin to tell us that um, we had a 2% chance that our son would live past four days. And Goliath stood up and was like, hey, how you doing, Beale family? I don't, I don't know about you, but it seems like whenever Goliath makes himself known, he wants to make sure that you realize he's there. L look in verse 16. It says, for 40 days the Philistine came forward every morning and evening and took his stand. For 40 days... This giant nine-foot-tall transformer is walking out there screaming at the Israelite army first thing in the morning and last thing in the, in the day. He's making fun of mom, pulling out grandma jokes. He's making fun of the Israelite nation. Hey, I'm going to kill you guys. You're horrible. You're nothing. I'm going to mess you up, and I'm going to mess you up, and I'm going to mess you up, and definitely going to kill you. And he's, he's morning and night being loud. Something happens when our problems stand before us and they start to scream and they start to yell. Too many of us take our eyes off of God and we start to focus on the problem. And something crazy happens when that takes place because when we take our focus off of who God is and we focus on what our problem is, our problem sometimes gets too big for our God to handle. What, what do you do? Goliath shows up. What, what, is, what is Goliath right now in your life? It's 2012, man, brand new year. It's supposed to be the Jetsons. We're supposed to have like bubble cars and toasters that make fruit strudels with us. We're supposed to have all this cool stuff. It's 2012, man. What, Goliath showed up. What's, what, what do we do? The Israelite army... Um, they did exactly what I would do. They hid. <laughs> anytime Goliath stood up, anytime he came out and started yelling first thing in the morning, late in the evening, they ran. Dude, they're ducking behind trees. They're hiding in the back of their tent. They're looking for fat people to duck behind. They're looking for anything possible to not make eye contact with Goliath. Because as a man, if you make eye contact, he can call you out, and then you look like a chump. <laughs> Israelites, are, they're running. They're hiding. They're king. Saul, head and shoulders above everybody else, manly man, burly dude. He's supposed to be their champion. He's supposed to be the one that Goliath steps forward and says, hey, I'm going to kill you. Saul's supposed to be the one that steps forward and says, not on my watch. And he's supposed to go out, you know, shiny, ching, pow, and pull out his sword and just wail on Goliath and win. You know where, you know where Saul's at? He's in his tent, ducked down in the corner, just like everybody else. He even went a step further. If you read the story, Saul even stands before the Israelite army, and he says, whoa, 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 hold up. I tell you what, if any of you men will go out and you'll fight and kill Goliath, 
I'm going to give you my daughter's hand in marriage, and your family can live tax-free for the entire year. And it's true. Look at it. It's in there. The Israelite men, they go up to Saul, and they go, mm, you know what? She's hot, but she is not that hot. <laughs> you know what? Hold up. Here is next year's taxes, because I'm not fighting that. Nine-foot-tall man, 125-pound armor, 15-pound spearhead. Hiding from it. I think too many times when Goliath shows up, that's what we do. Is we, we duck back in fear and we hide. And it's easy to do when, we, um, when our problems seem so big. And I don't, I don't know what Goliath looks like for you. I mean, it may be a job. It may be not having a job. And 2012 is kicked off and you're like, dude, I don't know how I'm going to pay rent. Maybe marriage, you guys may be at each other, and it's, it's rough. And 2012 is hit, and how am I going to get through with this person next to me for another year? Maybe it's health. I don't know, maybe it's finances. Maybe it's, it's all sorts of things. Maybe it's more than those. Maybe it's all those combined. What do you do when it stands up and it starts to get loud and it starts to yell and it starts to make his presence known? For us, Goliath started yelling and he got really loud. Um, through doctors. We're sitting there and we're seeing all these specialists. They're doing amniocentesis. They're, they're drawing fluid from my wife's stomach. They're doing all this weird stuff. And, and they start to tell us, we, we sit, and I'll never forget this, we walk into a doctor's office and it's my wife, myself, um, we took our, three, our two-year-olds to my parents' house. So it's just my wife, myself, and, and a team of doctors who are sitting before us. And they start to tell us that, that right now with what's going on with our son is gonna cause an incredible strain on our family. It's going to be way too much stress for you guys to handle. It's going to most likely cause a divorce. You guys are going to, come, you're going to go at each other most likely. It's going to cause you two to split apart financially. It's going to ruin you. There's no way you can afford to take, there's no way you can pay for this. You see, insurance doesn't pick up until the baby is officially born, and everything we've got to do between now and then is not going to be covered by insurance, and you're not going to be able to fund that. You're going to have stress on your family. Most likely, you're going to divorce because you're going to start fighting with each other. Financially, it's going to ruin you. And your two-year-old daughter isn't going to be able to deal with it. And it's not fair to her. I remember him looking at me and him saying, my advice to you is to abort. Try again and, and hope for a, a healthy baby. And I remember looking at him and looking at my wife and thinking, if I wail on this dude until he can't breathe anymore go to jail. I could start a prison ministry. I go to jail. <laughs> now my wife is stuck with more to deal with. So what do you do? Goliath's loud. He's yelling. He's in your face. What do you do? We didn't know what to do. So we went home and we got on the computer and anybody who had ever emailed me anything in my entire life, we sent out an email that just said, hey, our, we just found out that our son is sick. Would you please pray? And people started showing up at our house. Um, I remember walking outside, and there would be a, a group of people in my front yard praying for us. We'd have people come over and, and, and gather around my wife and start praying for her and for our son. We had people start to email us, start sending us letters from all over the world, Africa, Great Britain, England, people I have no clue who they are, how they found out about us, and it was this, this cool stuff of, hey, you don't know me, but we're praying for you. God's got something big. Don't give up. 
Remember Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, descendant of David. This is my gospel. We started praying. I honestly think that prayer is the most powerful muscle that we possess, but it's the least used. We pray for our food. <laughs> we, we, we pray for, for puppies and kittens. and It's the most powerful tool we own. We begin to pray and just wait for God to do something. They, they started to give us some options. He said, hey, you can go to California and have a heart transplant. It's going to be kind of difficult because at four days, most parents, if they lose a child, they don't want the organs harvested. So it's going to be really hard for you to find a heart that's going to you know, be for a four-year-old. Um, and you've got to move to California, which, remember, we're in Texas at the time. Uh, you've got to be two hours from the transplant site. So if one becomes available, you can be there. Or you can do nothing. Let your son be born, take him home, and guaranteed 100%, five days later, he's not going to be alive. Let him live his four days out in peace. You guys love on him, surround him, and then we'll bury him in five days. Or there's this weird thing. Um, they've got a procedure in Dallas that you can go out, and they're gonna, they can do some surgery stuff and try to repair what's not there on the left side and try to build the right side up to compensate for it, but it's kind of sketchy. And at this time, we really don't know a whole lot about it, but you're not gonna find a doctor to do it because his kidneys and his lungs don't work. So we prayed <laughs> nonstop. On January 11th, 2002, our son was born. Um, he, he came into this world fighting. His name is Jake and David. Um, Jachin is one of the pillars of King Solomon Temple, and then we took David from this story because I knew, we knew as a family him coming out was going to be a fight, and no matter how, what he did, Goliath was going to be in front of him, and, and Jachin and David combined means victory and grace for God's beloved, so we took this powerful warrior name, Jachin David, and we, we named him that, and it, our, our January 11th, our son comes out, and he starts screaming. We're, we're in Plano. We drove on Christmas Day six hours to, to Dallas. We couldn't get into the heart hospital because kidneys and lungs don't work, so they don't even have a room for us. So we're in Plano, Texas. Our son comes out screaming, and I'm like, uh, lungs work? <laughs> Starts to urinate on all the nurses. And I'm going crazy. Yeah, that's my boy. And they're looking at me like I'm a jerk, and I'm like, no, 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 you don't understand. His kidneys aren't supposed to be functioning. Look pretty good to me, Dad. We're trying to figure out how to get him into a hospital so it we're sitting there January 15th, four days roll around. Remember, 2% chance to live past four days. And we get a call from Dallas Children's Hospital that, hey, we've got a room, bring him in, we're, gonna, we're ready for him. We take him to Dallas, to Dallas Children's, and they're telling us, you know, hey, this, this doesn't look good. We've got counselors coming in, preparing my wife and I to not bring our son home. We've got people coming in, talking to our now three-year-old daughter, preparing her to not have her brother. We've got all this Goliath yelling in our face. And we're trying to point back to him who God is because our problems get unusually large when we take our eyes off of God. And we tried really hard to keep our eyes focused on who God is. And, and so we did this thing called faith. And, and I don't think that faith is blind where you just jump out randomly. I think that faith is a calculated risk in motion. I think that faith is trusting and knowing that God is going to do something and then just believing it enough to, to step out and to let him do his thing. So we went out to, to fight. Um, look look in, and see what David does. Look in verse 41. It says, Meanwhile, the Philistine with his shield bearer in front of him kept coming closer to David. 
he took David over and saw that he was only a boy, ruddy and handsome, and he despised him. He said to David, am I a dog that you commit me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Come here, he said, and I'll give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. David said to the Philistine, you come against me with sword, spear, and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord. Of the armies of Israel whom you have defiled. He says, this day the Lord will hand you over to me, and I will strike you down, and I will cut off your head. Today I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds of the air, the beasts of the earth, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. All those gathered here will know it's not by sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give all of you into our hands. As the Philistine moved closer to attack him, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet him. Reaching into his bag and taking out a stone, he slung it and struck the Philistine on the forehead. The stone sank into his forehead and he fell face down in the ground. So David triumphed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone without a sword in his hand and he struck down the Philistine and he killed him. David ran over and stood over him. He took hold of the Philistine's sword. He drew it from the scabbard. After he killed him, after he, killed him he cut off his head with his sword. I know that David had faith because he did what normal people don't. Normal people walk out and you see a nine foot tall, Megatron looking thing, 125 pound armor, 15 pound spearhead. Normal people see that and they, they run away. <laughs> David saw that and it said that he ran towards him. And he did that because he remembered who God was. I think one of the most powerful things that you can do in this room today for anybody is to remember who God is. What gave us the courage to go in and to, to be a part of this with our son was the fact that my wife and I started to remember who God was. I remembered the God that I gave my life to, the God that forgave me of the stupid things I had done, the, the God that forgave me of my sins. I remembered the, the God that helped my parents during some rough times. I remembered the God that had stepped out in my life, even as early in ministry, the God who had done some amazing things in ministry that had pulled me through some really rough times. I remember this God, I remember this, this God that walked on water. I remember this God that came to this planet that because of my stupidity and my sin, willfully gave his life on a cross, was nailed, was crucified, was killed, was placed into a tomb. And I remember this God that three days later said, time to get to work, and came out. I think the most powerful thing that many of us can do right now is to stop and remember who God is. If you'll take your eyes off of your problem and you'll focus back on who God is, this crazy, crazy thing happens. Your problem starts to get smaller because your God is getting bigger. Remember who Jesus Christ is. Remember Jesus Christ raised from the dead, descendant of David, this is my gospel. The most powerful weapon you have in 2012 is to remember who God is. And when Goliath steps up this year and he stands before you and he yells and he screams and he does his thing and he tries to taunt you and he tries to make you feel small and make you feel helpless and make you feel like you have no hope, remember who your God is. My wife and I call these things spiritual markers. Um, David did it too. Look in verse 54. Verse 54 David took the Philistine's head, and it's really gross, and he brought it to Jerusalem. And, but he put the Philistine's weapons in his own tent. Think about this for a second. You're David, rough week, camel breaks down, things are just going wrong everywhere. 
Um, you look across your tent, and you've got Goliath's sword and his shield and his armor. Oh, yeah, God, <laughs> you're a bad. Yeah, that, my, that, that's, that's awesome. He, he remembered who God was. For us, we took, um, we took sonogram pictures. We have a million of them. Um, and every time our son went to, to be in one of the surgeries or when something was stepping up, Goliath was standing up and yelling, we pulled these dudes out, and we had written scripture on the back. I, I sought the Lord, and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Psalms 35.4. Be not far from me, for trouble is near, and there is no one to help. Psalms 22.11. We, we put passages on these things that, brought, that just reminded us of who Jesus was that brought power into our life, and we taped these around our son's bed. And any time Goliath stood up, we looked at these things, and it reminded us of who God was. And, and let me tell you this. My, my son who had a 2% chance to live past four days, will turn 10 here in a couple weeks. And in his short life, in his short 10-year life, he's played baseball with the Dodgers. He got to go out with Jeff Kent to, to the land of blue, hallelujah, and, and play with the boys in blue. He shot a 12-foot alligator last year. We have the head at our house if you want to come see it. Don't know what we're going to do with it, but it's there. He was baptized year before last when he gave his life to Christ. And as a 10-year-old boy right now, he's dedicated his life. And I don't know why, but for some reason, he wants to go to China and win the Chinese people to Christ. And he's got it planned out as a 10-year-old. He's already got it figured out if he goes to the police and witnesses to them and they accept Christ, they'll protect him. And then he can go to the army because the police are going to need help. And the army is going to give their life to Christ. And the army and police together are going to go out and they're going to street evangelize China. And the Chinese you know, people are going to come to know who Jesus is. You know what we're doing as a family? We're teaching him Chinese. <laughs> because this kid knows who Jesus is. He'll jerk his shirt up and show you scars and be like, this is where God came in and saved me because we all have a broken heart. Just like mine was broke, but this is where God saved me. And yeah, we had a great doctor. I'm not, I'm not knocking science, but I think what saved us wasn't that we had a good doctor. It was that we have a God that's bigger than our problem. Remember Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, descendant of David, this is my gospel. And wherever you're at right now, I want to throw, just, just throw this out to you. Faith is a calculated risk in motion. And if Goliath has stood before you right now and you don't know what to do and you're standing there and you're tired, you may be fighting a battle that God wants to fight with you. And you're tired because you're fighting it and you're not letting God come in and do his thing. And I think many of us right now need to stop and we need to remember who God is. For some of you, your Goliath may be that you don't know Christ and you haven't taken that step of introducing yourself to him and knowing the creator of the universe personally. And the best thing that you could do in 2012 is just to ask Jesus into your life and to, to go, and go before him and say, God, the best I know how, would you come in and save me? I realize that I mess up, but would you forgive me from that? And would you come into my life and would you save me? And in 2012, God, would you help me to know how to fight with you? And would you help me through Goliath this year? You got a card when you walked in. There's some spots on it where you can check and let us know what's going on. If Goliath is standing before you, you want us to pray for that. In a moment, we're going to take our offering, and you can write a prayer request on that that our staff gets together every Tuesday, and we would love to pray for whatever Goliath looks like in your life. If today is the day that you're sick of fighting on your own and you want God to fight for you, you can go in and, and check on here that you're committing your life to Christ and let us contact you and help you to know what it means to have God fighting beside you and not fight solo anymore. 
whatever hits you this year, remember Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, descendant of David. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, I thank you for who you are. And God, I thank you for your grace. And God, I thank you so much for the fact, God, that no matter what hits, that you're bigger, that no matter what is here, God, that, that you can handle it. And God, in a weird way, I even thank you for Goliath. And God, I thank you for the fact that he's out there because it reminds me how bad I need you and it reminds me just how big you really are. So God, I pray that as 2012 rolls across, God, that we would remember, we would remember you. Jesus, thank you for loving us. And God, right now, would you give people the courage, maybe for the first time in their life, to step up and say, Jesus, I'm yours. And God, we ask this in your beautiful name. Amen.